My name is JT Van Zant. I'm a fly fishing guide on the Gulf Coast of Texas. Being on the water has always been the secret to unlocking my soul. I just feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing in this life. And that feeling inspires deep thought and conversations with my clients, who are all of varied backgrounds. I truly enjoy sharing perspective on the human experience with folks I take fishing. Drifting, a Yeti Presents podcast, was created with the goal of capturing those candid conversations with people who inspire me and sharing them with an audience that has the same sort of restlessness and curiosity that I do. I have found that the best way to provide wisdom and hope for future generations is to learn from the folks that have blazed the trail before us and have made tough decisions in the pursuit of living an extraordinary life. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening to Drifting. The best part of what I do for a living is the people I meet, whether it's folks I take fishing, meet on my travels, or sit down to talk to for this podcast. You gain perspective from folks you meet. Most of these encounters create a fondness, and on occasion, fondness leads to lasting friendships. When I met Mark Carter, I felt I already knew him. The rough carved lines on his kind face are the roadmap for a mountain existence. I could tell in that instant we could swap jokes, share a tent, and get along on a long road trip. He's a third-generation cattle rancher from Tin Sleep, Wyoming, that chased down his dreams as a pro snowboarder. When I picture Mark and his brother R.C. rounding up cows on the frozen plains of Wyoming with their cow dogs laid across the gas tanks of their dirt bikes, I'm lost in the romance of their isolated existence. But God knows it's not any fun. It's rather endless, hard, and dangerous work. So the choice wasn't easy to leave his father and brother with all that work behind on the ranch. But the call of the mountains and their magnificent beauty and Mark's ability to fly through the air on a snowboard were just too great to deny. In the off-season, Mark races back to the ranch and digs back into the work alongside his family. His dad taught him at an early age, but as long as you're willing to work, then you'll always be okay. And work he shall. Good job, man. Mark, welcome to Austin, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's good to have Thanks. you. Your first time? Yes. Yes. Super good to be here. Um, uh, you're doing pretty good. You're making your way around the hotel. I saw a bunch of hipsters talking to you on the street. Yeah, yeah. You know, looked real comfortable making, out there. Making some friends, you know? Making old, some friends. Old Johnny uh, Tight Shorts was pretty close to you. Didn't look nervous at all. No, not nervous. Not nervous. Comfortable with my own skin. <laughs> country boys do good in the city, man. Better than city boys do in the country. Why is that? Yeah, you know, I think it's, I think it has to do with, I don't know, like I say, I can only speak for myself, but um, when you're, you're in the country or in any kind of, you know, wild environment, you, you kind of have to have a certain amount of skills and to be self-sustained, to survive in the city, I wouldn't, you need a different set of skills and survival as far as like food, shelter, water, that is, that's pretty easy to come by. You can push a button. So I don't know. You can make a lot of bad decisions in either environment, but I feel that the 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 rural, the country is a little harder to survive in. I mean, I'm pretty seasoned, and I can still just go out there and die if I made a bad decision. You can kind of fake it in the city a little bit. Yeah, hard to fake it in on a ranch. Yeah, you can't hide what you are. You know. Yeah. Is that something that uh, that you were raised on? Were you, were, did you learn like how important it was to be yourself early on? Or did you just become yourself as a consequence of the work it takes to survive out there? I think, you know, I mean, at a young age, I didn't know any better. 
I just did what I was told. And I really, um, I've always been had a really special connection to nature and animals and just the way I was raised with, you know, my dad and my mom having a severe work ethic, like, you know, it was one of those deals you get up in the morning, you know, on a Saturday or whatever. And if you didn't leave the house and find something to do, they found something for you to do. So you just were always evolving and finding things, going outside, just being outside. And I think that connection um, with nature and just really feeling the pulse of, of the earth is really like recharges me and keeps me, keeps me balanced and centered. I was watching some footage from a Yeti Presents film about to come out ingrained with you in it that Jimmy Chin did, right? Yeah, yeah, Jimmy Chin, uh, Wade, Wade Dunstan, Dave Cleland, the workshirt guys, they phenomenal job. Um, probably the best piece of content, you know what I mean? And, and, and most true to the fact of my roots, and, and they just covered all bases. So, yeah, I'm really proud of that, really proud of that, for sure. It showed you wrestling down a steer early <laughs> on, and, like, I think a lot of confidence comes from that, that ability at a young age where... You could go to the city and, and, and just feel comfortable about what you're capable of yeah. and not try to stack yourself up against others that you see around you. Totally. Like, I, I look at the city in a different way. You know, I, when I first went to New York, I'm like, why are people hungry here? There's tons of pigeons. Like, I'd just be, I'd be eating pigeons. So like, <laughs> like, people look at pigeons and they're like, you can't eat those. And I guess if you tried to kill a pigeon in Central Park, people would probably look at you a little, little sideways. I've been, I've been, you know, just struggling to stay positive in a city environment because I kind of go back and forth quite a bit. And uh, it seems to me like the, there's a lot of men, perhaps women, too, that are just sort of lost in this sort of mix, don't really have a clear you know, view of what they're supposed to be doing. I suppose you grew up in the country like you. You became a professional snowboarder. Um, like you weren't comfortable sitting around forever, but like you knew what you wanted to go do. I'm going to probably have to struggle a little bit before I find this train of thought because it's, it's yeah. new to me. It came up as, uh, as a consequence of watching Ingrained and just thinking to myself uh, as, a, as a parent of a young boy like who talks back to me a lot, by the way, and, and I haven't got full control of. Like I was seeing your, your dad's in that bit and he's just like just just he's just such the real American man of the West. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I look around town and see guys that are kind of worried about what they're going to wear and how their beard looks and stuff. And <laughs> I think any of us would act that way in a similar setting. I don't think those people are different from us necessarily. I just think the situation they're in yeah. causes them to act that way, sort of. Whereas in the country, you're not worried what T-shirt you put on or how your hair looks before you go wrangle cattle. You're just, no, just get it, dressed, get outside and do work, right? <laughs> yeah, if you put on something nice, it's not going to be nicer very long. Right. I got, like your work clothes, you know, it's a, it's a, it's not really a material thing. It's, it's more functional and... Um, um, thought out, like back to my dad, you know, that used to talk about what you think you're going to wear, what people are worried about wearing. He, he wears the same thing every day and he's worn the same thing my whole life every day. And that is a ring. So ring. You have multiple out. <laughs> he has a whole closet of, uh, long sleeve denim Wrangler shirts and, um, and jeans. And that's all I've ever seen him in. I've never seen him in a t-shirt. I've never seen him in shorts. Unfortunately, I don't think he knows how to swim either. And that's unlike that's it's a all right. that's a damn shame. Like, all these things you can prevent. You don't even know how to swim, Dad? Like okay. He doesn't care, you know. But um it was just never a necessity for him. How um, long has he been out? Did he grow up on that same property? Yeah. Um well actually they moved there. Um they migrated when he was in sixth grade to Ten Sleep from Montana. So my grand my, my grandpa homesteaded up in Bridger Canyon, um, outside of Bozeman. 
and they were there for that's where he was born and raised and then in, when he was sixth grade they moved down to tent sleep and bought that ranch and that's kind of where i mean he'll never leave so his dad set it up yeah so we got uh with my brother's kids my brother rc and his kids now um there's four generations on the ranch oh so, wow yeah that's awesome it's a special place and back to i think people looking for um you know in the city or, or, or whatever you can be in the country then i think it's I think it's more of a fact of people needing purpose, you know, with um, the depression and just everything that's going on in this crazy world we live in, um, sense of purpose, you know, and I, and I look at a guy like my dad and I'm like, he always knew what he was going to be and do from a young kid. You know, he's like, I'm going to be a cowboy. I'm a cowboy. This is what I do. I'll be a rancher my whole life. There was never like a, a question of that. And so he had a purpose. And so he's been able to just stay on that, you know, having purpose. Um, just he's like never he, he's never mentioned any any doubt or regret in no, being a cowboy. Oh, man, I mean, his, his vacation to him is like getting done working and going and sitting in his lazy boy. Watching the cows yeah, out the window. Out, you know, yeah. like that's, there's no aspirations of going to the beach and like anything outside of Tensip. He's very content with just, and he's been around, you know. I don't think he's ever been international, like across the pond or anything, but uh He's been around, you know, and he's very, he's very, he's a wise man. And, um, once again, just comfortable in his skin, comfortable yeah. purpose, you know, um, he, he does stuff every day, you know, he gets up and he has, he puts on the same clothes <laughs> and might not do the same thing, but he definitely, uh, has a lot of purpose in his life. And I think that's what really it feels so good having the work done, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like anything. I mean, we need. I think you need a sense, a, a bit of suffering every day to kind of balance everything out. Whether that maybe you got to go to like ride the, run the, up the stairmaster for an hour, you know. For me, it's like uh, get up early and ride my mountain bike and just get that out of the way. Sweat hard, think, maybe listen to a podcast. But I think that like that just element of suffering just helps you grow and progress so much. And when there's none of that, it differentiates what relaxation is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, I look forward to a little suffering. You don't know what yeah. feeling good feels like. No, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have the balance. You gotta have both. And um, the the best feeling feelings I've ever had is doing these really, really hard things, dangerous, hard camping trips for ten days in the winter or whatever, and climbing peaks. And during it, you're like, there has to be something good coming out of this. You know, this is hard. This, you know, I I put myself into it voluntarily. I enjoy it, but there's definitely times where you're like, ah, oh, did I? What am I doing here? But when it's all said and done, those are the experiences you remember. You never remember the complacency and just the comforts, you know, unless you're like doing something super rich, like <laughs> that happens too. Where you're like, damn. But uh, for me, it's, it's, it's all about the, the suffering and, and just kind of growing that way, I think. How are you and your bro motivated as kids to work as hard as you did? Did you have to get whipped or were you? Um, you know, we were good kids. You know, like any kids are going to, you, know, you need discipline, which we had plenty of. Um, there was just no other option. There was no talking back. There was no like, what do you want for dinner? How are your feelings tonight? Do you want to work today? No. There was like, this is what we're doing. This is what you're eating. This is the way it is. And it, in a way, I, th I find that that's a really good thing for kids because, I mean, you shouldn't be making decisions on your own at seven. You're going to push the max to see if someone's in charge. And once you realize yeah. there is someone in charge, you feel very comfortable that yeah. you're taking care of. I'm like, someone. cool, man. You're driving the plane. I'm just going to sit back here. Do your thing. And tell so, me where I can fit in. Like your earliest memories growing up as a, as a cattle ranch kid. Hmm. You know, honestly, my earliest memory of uh, 
one of my earliest memories was a pretty traumatic event in my life. Um, and so we, we always grew up and my, my dad, I, I, it's so hard to portray it, like how gritty he is, you know, unless you've been around him and seen the things. I mean, I've seen him do things. You're just like, how, how do you do something? How do you do that? And it's always been that way. And like, Give us an to example. It's totally different. Just getting pinched against the pen by a big cow and just. Like, I mean, yeah. there's been so many things. Just like this spring, I, I you know, I, I have these aspirations of, of going to Hawaii and, and like after my long winter, I need to thaw out. But I come home and I, I always tell myself like, don't go back to the ranch before I because I I, I spend my winters in Jackson and then tent sleep is like kind of my summer migration. So May I'll head I'll head home and. I knew, I was like, man, if you go home, you're going to get sucked in. Because the ranch really has a way of consuming you. Because there, there's always so much work to be done. And it all gets done. But I get there and then I feel guilty for leaving. You it's know? not like you can show up and sit in dad's lazy boy and look out yeah. the window. And it's not like that. It's not like that. Dusting so, it up in the field. Yeah. <laughs> so I show up and uh, he's like, oh, yeah, my, my hip, my hip and my shoulder. I was like, what? What did you do? And he goes, well, you know and he's getting older and it's a shit to see your parents getting older, but it's just, we all get, a, we all get a turn, you know, That's and, a drill. and I still, you know, he's 67 and he is down there and he's still, so we have the, we have the family ranch, my brother's running, but since that took work away from my dad, he, he's, he's a sense of purpose. So he goes and, you know, has a lot of cattle in another ranch in Southern Wyoming that takes care of by himself. And he's run anywhere from 2,500 head of cattle down there, dude. I think he has like 800 now. So we're, we're manageable. We're getting his herds down so he can manage it, but he's getting the neighbor's bull out of the, um, his, his cows. And he was messing with some panels in a, in an old crail and he was going to back his, his trailer up and this bull will come in and run under the shed. And you know, he didn't act hot and mad, but he couldn't see him. And so he was, had his back to the shed. And this bull come out and he and jumped. And I think he, the bull wasn't really trying to get in, but he jumped. And at that same time, my dad saw him. He jumped. And they both ended up on top of the panel. And this bull landed on top of my old man and, like, bent him over the panel. Like, I'm talking 1,800-pound Angus. Mm -hmm. And this thing just smashed him under him. And he said it was as close as he's ever had to die. And then he said this thing was in, you know, it was kicking and the panels fell over. And it smashed him and hurt his hip. And I was like damn dad so i come home and he's all gandered and he's like i yeah i got my brother goes to maui for, with his family because he's been working his ass off all winter you know he didn't know all this was going down and i'm like you got like 800 cow cow uh calves you need branded we got to gather them and we got to ship them to the desert like how are you going to do all this and he's like how oh, you know get it done he never asks me for help right and i'm like i'm here what, what are we doing so i just like came from winter and dropped right into just cowboying with my old man for like three weeks we went hard and got all this cattle situated and down the desert on grass and it was good but it's just like that you know he's in pain if he if he says it hurts i'm like i probably wouldn't be able to so walk. over the top yeah but, if, he, if he raised his shirt he's probably man, black and blue but, everywhere. but that was just the way he grew up like we always challenge ourselves like snowboarding i take challenging but my dad growing up like the thing was he would get the rankest horses and just break them and ride them and whatever and they wouldn't even some of these things wouldn't even ever they would never be good horses they just were mean and were he, his friends filming that on their phones so that they could totally totally it was all about the likes you know back <laughs> then it was all about the likes and he tells me stories of like you know driving down and you hear all these crazy stories and horses they've bred a lot of the stupid out of horses these days you know there's not that ornery really mean 
Because the way he talks about him back then is those things would try to kill you. They'd bite you and kick you and, you know, paw you. So his, the, the stories of him breaking horses, he just loved that, catching wild horses. They'd go out and, and rope the, um, the wild horses and catch these studs and just crazy cowboy stuff as a kid, you know. And um, he was telling me another story. <laughs> He's driving down the road. And the, the big thing back in the day was everybody had a, a stock rack in the back of their truck. So they put their horse in the back of their truck. You know, it was, it was a crazy thing. They don't really do it. Everybody has trailers now. But he said this horse jumped out of the stock rack as he's driving down the highway and was like jumped over and landed on the hood of his truck and like skidded out and fell off. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, my God. Dad ran over it? No, he didn't run it. He stopped. But the horse, you know, the horse was fine. But, um, but the, I think it's just that cowboy stuff, man, that's in me. And, I, and I'm always fascinated by his stories. And he has, I mean he's continues to tell me tons of stories, but he always has more and more and just the layers that he gets into. But back to, um, one of my earliest memories. That's something to be real proud of, man. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of him. He he's, and my mom too. Cause she, she put up with him and, and like, he probably wasn't the easiest. Guy. No, in the, in he's the a wild animal. In the movie, she was running some kind of counter with, yeah. with like some, some, yeah, her and I have some a, honey or some home. Her and I have a, a little motel intensely. Okay. Yeah. That's so, what that was. So that's oh, the, cool. the Carter in. So she takes care of it. Man. My sister's run, my sister Gabrielle's now running it, but my mom's involved. And, but, um, you know, just going back to, to this, the, the rowdiness of my childhood and, and what my dad had going on. He's always breaking these horses. Like my, seriously, my early, earliest memory was, um, walking out and I was probably four or five years old and we had this we had this crail outside of our house and down the the feed bunk was this this bale this bale of hay because they'd, they'd throw them to the feed the cows or whatever and I'd been out there with the neighbor kids in the morning and we and like we lived in the middle of nowhere we were like 20 miles from anywhere and I mean dirt roads and no shoes and uh there was this bale and I remember the neighbor kids had tipped it over and, I, and there was all these little pink mice under it and I was like man, I was fascinated by animals. I just, I really wanted to see those mice again. So I'd come out later in the afternoon and <clears throat> my dad was breaking this really wild horse and he'd come into the tack shed. And so he was up the, up the, the feed bunk, probably 50 feet. And I was down there trying to tip this bale over. And I just remember I couldn't get the bale over. I was too small to tip a tiny little bale over. And something happened up there at the tack shed. This horse pulled and he didn't have all the cinches off the saddle. And that saddle went under, that hit, slid under his belly. And I don't know if you've ever seen a horse with a saddle under him when, you know, it, it's like kind of a common mistake. People have two cinches and they'll just, they'll forget to take off the back cinch. And so when they go pull that saddle off, it'll just slide under that. If he's not a really good broke horse, usually they'll just kind of lose their shit. Yeah. So this horse did that, pulled away and lost his shit. And I just remember like looking up the bunk and here comes this just huge horse animal bucking. And, and that was the last thing I remember. And man, I just, he went right over top of me and my dad, he, he was talking, he's like, man. Is this a traumatic event that happened this was to you the when you're, okay, yeah, we'll start like, out? Cool, cool, yeah. so I was going to ask. I, yeah, so this was, <laughs> it wasn't, it was traumatic. I don't know, it, it was a crazy thing because it was like slow motion. You know, anytime, everything slows down. I just re, It's so vivid and it was so many years ago. But I, one of my earliest memories is this thing coming at me and then just black. And my dad said that I was just in his legs, just, just ragdolling this thing. And then it spit me out, you know, limp. And he thought for sure I was dead. And uh, I just remember waking up on the couch in the, on the house with my mom and my dad. And I, I really wasn't hurt. I was just a little banged up. But like, that Could was it. Could have been it. different, yeah. And I think that's kind of been my whole life. You know, I've had so many like 
near misses just, like that. God, and I continue, but I've gotten to the to the point where I don't even think about them anymore. You know, I, and even in the winter, I have these near misses. You're like, but it didn't happen. I see them on that. Yeah, <laughs> on you that know, video. It didn't happen, and I just really believe in like not being scared of that. You know, I, I just like live straightforward. I'm like, I'm gonna do this, and I guess. If, if that, if that, if that, if that's my end, then I, I'm good with it, you know, but uh, I just, that's been the whole life. There's never been a safety element, any on the ranch. And so snowboarding's really easy for me and that safety element. And I, I, we really mitigate the risk and I, I'm, I, I take a lot of time and, and studying of like the snowpack and, and, and just what's going on to keep everybody safe when we're filming in these environments. Cause it's, it's more like, at that point, it's not about me. It's about my crew. And a lot of these times I'm leading these guys now. And the older I get, I'm like mentoring these younger guys. And that's the most important thing for me is everybody comes out safe. And just mitigating that risk and navigating is, it, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a load to carry. But you got to go out there with like-minded people and, and um, people that are going to save you and watch your back. No liabilities. I cut the whole, <laughs> try, to, try to cut all the liabilities out. But... The ranch is way more dangerous than snowboarding, man. Like every time, yeah. every spring I always have a, I uh, always get wrecked at least once. I come back from snowboarding, I'm like healthy and then something will happen on the ranch. I'm like, ah, I got a stick in my ear this year and last year I smashed my head. And But a lot of respect for just the, 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 the guys that work every day and grind and blue collar. I just, I have tremendous respect for the people that have to survive because a lot of people are just surviving. You yeah, know? no, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm I'm so fortunate to be able to. I like, feel that too. Like I, the the lucky ones are still still out there on the outskirts of town. In my opinion, I was really fortunate. So I grew up in Houston. Uh, my mom worked every day. Just kind of I wasn't too bad of a hoodlum. No one ever got hurt. I didn't damage anyone's stuff. But I I was a lost city kid. My grandparents lived on uh, 300 acres. My granddad always had about 400 head. And so every summer I would stay there by myself with my grandma and grandpa. And there were just some hired cowboys that would help us round up. But at an early age, I had to sand pens and paint and saw horns and, and work the pinch gate. And, and, and then I'd go back to Houston with just these daydreams of being in the country. So it was more like I, as a kid, I dabbled. But then fast forward, like as soon as I could get out of Houston, that, that farm experience get, had a much stronger pull on me. And I think ultimately being someone who makes their living outside, it's only because I had that just that small introduction every year, three months of the year being in the country. And, uh, and like you said, as a kid, it just seemed like, all right, my mom can't deal in the summer when I was off of school. So I'm heading to my grandma's just what it was. And later on, once, you know, I was conscious of how fortunate I was in that situation, I just wanted to be in the country. And it was like, how do I make it work? I'm not really a cattleman. I'd, I'd have a lot to learn there. Yeah. Even though I, I'd, it'd be easy to say, yeah, I was a rancher. I went out, you know, but that wasn't the case. I got to see what it was all about. I got to join those guys and their work. And I learned a lot, but I didn't live that lifestyle. I, I got to go back to the city and yeah, it wasn't cush, you know, get beat up and stuff like that. Yeah. But I just loved being out there. Well, loved you, being with those animals. Do you think that, you know, that balance, that balance of the rural and getting to experience that in the summer and then your city life as well that that's like such a good balance and, and that's something that i i was lucky enough to have as well and 
you really do appreciate the rural. You're like, man, but I do appreciate the city too. I mean, I've made some amazing friends. I've, I mean, it's given me a lot of opportunity, but I think that like, that's interesting with your balance too. You know, you got to spend that time in the country and you got to see that side and that definitely drew you to what, what you're doing now. It makes me just think like, like, so I was lucky. I had that, that, that one sort of, uh, you know, part of my family that lived that way. I had a lot of friends in Houston um, who had no chance of seeing that. I would invite certain friends out to, out to witness some of that, and they would always just be blown away and have such a good time. Yeah. Um, but it, it just makes me think about how few people these days have any access to the, not so much the outdoors uh, as much as an old way of life, you the, know, the taking old... care of yourself and your family yeah. on a piece of land, doing everything yourself. I agree. Well, it's because it's, it's, it's not sustainable anymore, man. It's, it's really... It's sad, you know, to just see what agriculture has become, you know, in our food system has become and the ranchers and the star and the farmers starving, you know, at commodity, you know, and it, it's just like, I think the average rancher, the average food agriculture food producer in this country, is 60 years old, you know, it's like, it's not enough. It's not lucrative enough, especially if you're not born into it to even the kids to care about that. Like they, it's like, why would you be a rancher? You know, you're not going to make any money. You know, I think we've put so much value on things and money and man, I think the most important thing is your, your quality of life, you know? And I, I will say that like, it's a simple life, but it's, it's, and it's hard work, but man, like when we get back to purpose and, and sense of like accomplishment, like every day you do that on the ranch, little things, big things, it doesn't even matter. And, um, I, I don't know it, with this beef business. Now I've, I've really gone down the rabbit hole of like, you know, we're fully transparent with what we're doing with our beef practices and, and where we want to be. And, and, and we want to be good with it for, for the environment. We want to do good for people. You know, everybody deserves to eat good food. You but say it, that you say, we just want to be healthy, raise good cows and yeah. feed honest, good people. Yeah. It's yeah. Beautiful. It is, you know, and it, 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 you'd think it would be simple, but, there's so many layers to when you start getting into that, um, that beef market and that commodity market. And it's the guys that aren't working and raising the, the animals and feet in the dirt that are, that are making the money. You know, the ranchers are starving and, and there's a lot of layers to it. And we could go down a rabbit hole and talk about the jungle burning and why the jungle's burning and, and all these bad things. But essentially it's all for money, you know, and that, and that's really sad. And, and I always like, we all need money, right? It's a tool. It's a great tool, but don't put that shit on a pedestal because if you can fucking burn it, <laughs> like it's, it doesn't matter Yeah. if you're out in the woods and you're cold, you're probably going to burn your thousand dollars. You know, it doesn't matter. So to put so much value on something that means so little, um, especially like I just keep coming back and I think about like my community and my neighbors and, and the guys that, I mean, they eek by, but everybody works seven days a week. It's about the work, right? It's all about the work. Yeah. And I wouldn't say everybody wants to work that hard. Like nobody wants to work that hard. You have to work that hard. And, um, I mean, things have to change at some point, right? Um, I look at your, <laughs> I look at your old man, um, the lines in his face and, and, and the pride he has in, in you boys yeah. and, and, uh, you can't match that kind of contentment, you know, yeah. and he said it about you. He said, uh, I'm just really happy. He's an honest, good man. Uh, that'll choke me up right now. Yeah. But, yeah. but 
he, he you know I, I struggle with this thing like where you know where the left is just so ridiculous and the far right is equally so then you have just rational people that work hard in the middle that really don't have time to participate in all that yeah um what's the difference to you between sort of a, a real cowboy and like a redneck <laughs> Well, there's rational people and there's irrational people, right? So first off, if I'm going to have a, a conversation with somebody, you got to figure out if you're going to have an argument with somebody, you got to figure out if they're rational or not, or there's no like, there's just, it's not, even, it's senseless, but a redneck and a cowboy. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's a tricky one because it gets kind of thrown around in the similar area. Um, a cowboy to me is like somebody that integrity, honesty, hard work, loyalty, compassion, compassion, empathy, like all those things, a kind person. Cause you really do see, I mean, there's some grit and there's sometimes you got to bite your teeth down and, and do things that you don't want to do as a cowboy, you know, like maybe dispatching an animal, you know, like at a young age, I had to kill things, yep. not because I wanted to kill it, but because it needed, it needed to put out of its misery. Yep. And, um, but you love that animal. You know, no matter if you, even if you didn't have a connection to it, like ranchers and, and farmers and cowboys, they have such connection to these animals and people really like think that there's a disconnect there. But man, when that's your livelihood, you know, we talk about grazing and, and people, oh, they're overgrazing. And yeah, all that stuff happens, man, like guaranteed all that happens. But if you overgraze, your cows don't do good. And if your cows don't do good, you don't do good. And so it doesn't really correlate with a lot of things that are said, you know, so the, everybody wants to do good. You know, you're not going to be a rancher and want to do bad because you're already, you're already starving, man. Like honestly, like the commodity market right now, like hopefully I know a lot of people that might sink in the next three years, you know, ranchers yeah. around your area, yeah, ranchers and farmers, you know, cause the beef's really devalued in the, in the U S you know, we're importing a lot of beef uh, from South America. You know, I mean, long story short, it's like price uh, and I can't blame the guys in South America. I mean, they have great beef, but when you, when you put such a value and a demand on something and we're importing beef that we really don't need to be importing anything, somebody's making money. Um, there's a reason the jungles are burning for agriculture. I think I'm pretty sure 80% of those, 80% of the stuff burning is, is for cattle. You know, making farmland, making ranch land, more cattle. We've created this crazy demand of shipment into the U.S. And yeah, man, I don't know the solution. You know, we're 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 working through that. We're we're trying to um, Carter Country Meats. We're we're just basically trying to set up something, a template to to give back and and put the money where it needs to be with the people that are you know working the land and, and that care, and not the guys in the suits with their shirts tucked in. No, not the guys that aren't working it, having no skin in the game. So I don't know what the solution is there, but, uh, what's the outlook for your ranch? We're good. You know, I mean, it's always year to year, you know, when you, you know, we've gotten out of the, the main, the main program of like just the every day, every year selling your calves at commodity. We still do a little of that, but we've found another market in selling direct and trying to, um, work with restaurants and now we're, we're doing like our uh, kind of a membership thing with the, with on the website the Carter Country Meats and, and we're, we're, we've collabed with Yeti and so we ship all of our stuff it's like a monthly thing and you know that's all good in, in the and you know obviously I want to see that company do well but like my brother's vision he's like dude the beef is like that's that gets us in 
but he really his vision is he's the one feet on the ground talking to the ranchers working the dirt every day you know i'm part-time rancher <laughs> like honestly like <laughs> you stole my thunder i was gonna ask i call you part-time i am a part-time show. rancher man i'm not full-time like i don't i can't take any credit for like yeah dude i'm working every day getting up early i stay busy but i mainly work with the cattle but my brother he's the one like feet in the dirt like his whole survival depends upon that ranch surviving and he's he thinks so far outside of the box you know he he's thinking way more than just like let's make this company successful he's like how do we change the food template in this country how do we change that how do we do that how do we save our fellow ranchers and farmers like that's the question you know nobody's talking about that and um it's a little disturbing, you know, and I guess it's really disconnected because most people think their their food comes from the grocery store. But there's a lot of people working really hard to just provide that for everybody, you know, in the city, you know. Um, I don't know, man. It's like there's so many layers to it, you know. But No, and you guys I are think just it's steadfast just, holding your own, doing what you do. That's as much of a solution as anything, is dreaming one up, you know. Well, just, man, you just got to be good to people. You know, I think that's the main thing. That's like the one thing I always try to take and... It was something my grandpa and my dad continues to tell us, but he, he said, it doesn't cost a penny to be nice. So it's like, all right. In your early life, like starting to go to school and stuff, what would that day be like? Get a little work in before you go to school? You know, we, to we'd always have chores. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's super good. You know, you had chores, you had a routine, you get up in the morning, boom, and then school, hated school, get me out of school, want to go home, and then home, and then just outside until the you know, the darkness brought me in or my, or my belly, I'd get hungry. But how many acres do you guys operate on? Uh, our family ranch in intensely is around 40,000, 50,000, I think somewhere in there. I'm not quite exactly, but a lot. That yeah. is a lot. Yeah, yeah. And we have, we have, um, like BLM public land in there too, that we, we lease. So it's not all deeded, but it's a beautiful place on the, on the, on the Western slope of the Bighorns. It looks like it. And it's just, it's so nice to be able to go from Jackson and in that world of just high pressure and like my winters and they are great, man. Like I live, I live rich in Jackson. I, you know, I don't have to get up and check heifers at night. I just snowboard and I just try to stay <clears throat> healthy and alive and do what I want. But to come home and have my whole family in one place and to be able to ride out of my garage and ride up my ranch every morning on my mountain bike and just like look over it and not see a soul. That's just like, man, that's where I get my recharge and that's where I get my ideas. And I think that's what keeps me just hungry for the other. It's that balance. Um, it's a special place. Very special. It's hard to really share the feeling of having that sort of tingle on your skin, early yeah. morning mountain air. Yeah. Breathing steam. And, yeah. And having that family history there, that's got to be yeah. pretty fulfilling. It's all about there. the family, you know? I mean, that's really all you got. So, so when, and when growing up, did you, did you find sort of discontent? This might not be what I'm going to do. Like how, how did that all? Oh, I don't think I, at an early age, I wanted to be a rancher. You know, I think at like 10 years old, I thought I wanted to be Billy the kid, but that was kind of a little outdated. So I, uh, I don't know. I got into snowboarding at nine years old and, and for whatever reason, my, my dad used to pull us behind the truck in the winter when there was enough snow on the ground I was on thinking there had to be some on sled sleds. experience on sleds yeah and i was fears in motion yeah. yeah and i loved sledding and and i didn't even know anything about skiing or snowboarding you know we didn't really have the resources to go do so and we had a tiny little hill but 
that was my spark. And I couldn't get enough of that. I was like, Oh, pull me up the mountain. Like, just, can we go check the cows? Like pull me. And he'd pull us out through the pasture when all the cows and the calves are in the, in the spring there. In the, and there was enough snow in the fields and he pulls through the fields on the sleds with his horse. He'd go check his, his cows and he'd just dally off and pull us around the fields. And I remember the a frozen cow turds, a great kicker. And that's where I really started like learning. I was like, I like the air. I want to get some air time. So then, yeah, the school is like three bucks for a lift ticket at metal arc. And it was just a pommel lift. It was tiny. And, um, I would go up there. I started going up and I was like seven, I think it was attainable. The school would take you up on, on at noon on a Friday and we get a half day, three bucks. You could afford it. And, uh, I started skiing a little bit, but there was this one guy, man, he was the only snowboarder. And this is like 88, 87, 88. And he was the only snowboarder up there. His name's Tra- split tail. And- Dude, yeah. Full like Burton flight, uh, with this big Malmute Husky chasing him down the mountain, you know, and he was having so much more fun than everybody else. And his name's Charlie Hicks and he still rides that mountain. And, um, I was like, what is that guy doing? Like that looks way more fun than the, these two, like these two stupid planks on my feet and these poles and these hard boots. I'm like, this is uncomfortable. And like, and so I was like, man, I want to do that. And, uh, I begged and begged and begged and got aboard and, and then, you know, it all kind of evolved and, and, Charlie took me under his wing and my, my brother and my sister as well. And we all got snowboards and we started snowboarding. And that was just where it sparked for me. And, um, my parents were divorced. So I would like with that, with that, that city rural balance. Um, my mom lived in the city in Casper and then my dad was on the ranch. So I would like kind of bounce back and forth. So about third grade on, I was like, I, I moved so much. Like I, I couldn't decide who I wanted to be with. Cause that's a hard thing for a kid. I wanted to be on the ranch. I wanted to be in the city and it was two different lives. Um, so from third grade to like my junior year in high school, man, I was just like back and forth, back and forth. And I think that's what really kind of created my nomadic lifestyle as well. I'm used to moving a lot. Yeah. Um, but I just took snowboarding and, um, you know, I really loved it through, through middle school and in high school, I kind of got away from it. The, the resort had shut down and I wasn't snowboarding anymore. I, I didn't go snowboarding for like three years. Still no notion. This could be a profession. I imagine. Well, about high school, I was like, I think I want to like, or middle school, I was like, this is, might be possible. I was pretty good. You know, I was doing things. And, and like in Casper, there was a scene, there was a snowboarding scene and there was kind of a little bit more attainable of like finger on the poles, what the industry was doing. I had no idea. Like I, I, I didn't even know you could grab your board till I moved to Casper. I was like, Oh, you can grab your board. Like when you're in the air, I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like no idea about style, just, just doing it for fun. And, um, yeah, you know, I went to college for a second and I was like, why am I here? And so I just decided that. Tell I was me about that. Well, where'd you go? <laughs> I went to uh, Black Hill State University. I had a full, I had a football scholarship. So when I got away from snowboarding in my in high school, I needed purpose. And so lifting weights and playing football and being accepted in that community was really important because I wasn't going back to Casper anymore. So I I, I wasn't skateboarding anymore. I wasn't snowboarding. I kind of lost track of my whole like my whole path of like what I really wanted to do. But it was fun. I loved football and, and I played and I was good and got a scholarship and went. You weren't and, getting into trouble at any point. You're a pretty good kid. Uh, I've always been an outlaw. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of trouble. It's <laughs> maybe a different podcast. Um, but I moved to uh, Black Hills. So I went to Black Hill State for a semester and was like, oh man, what am I doing in school? Like I hated school. Yeah. It just wasn't for me. It didn't. I had that I feeling. Need, I, I pushed to, through. I, I needed I to be outside. I started guiding the day I, I got out. <laughs> You're smart, but I needed to be outside, like being inside somebody telling me there was few things that I was interested in. History was one of them, but the rest of it, I was like, meh, 
get me out of here. Yeah. So I dropped out of college and, and it wasn't a surprise to anybody. You know, I just went cause it was paid for, but I remember telling my dad, I was like, you know, no, I'm sure you don't regret, you'd regret not checking it out more than checking of, it out and deciding. It's of not course, yeah. of course, of course. I think it's, I think it's so imperative to have failure. Like I think going into things, wanting to succeed all the time is just foolish because you're n- you're going to have no growth from succeeding. Like failures where you learn. Like, Thank God for that. Cause that's all I'm good man, at. I'm good at failing. <laughs> I can take a beating, you know, since day one. So, um, yeah, you know, I told my dad, I was like, I'm going to drop out of college. I don't like this. And he's like, you know, as long as you know how to work hard, you'll always be okay. And I'm like, man, I took so much comfort That's in that. solid answer. At 18 years old, I was like, no shit. I was like, I know how to work hard. You taught me. No, So no matter what I do, I'm always going to be okay. I can just work harder. It might suck, but I'm okay with suck. You know, it's like, whatever. So I dropped out, worked on the ranch for like a year with a plan of... Uh, taking a winter off, going somewhere and just snowboarding and just seeing like if that's it. Not working, just being a bum snowboarding. So me and the old man, that was like the last real, um, I don't know, it was, I was just, I felt like a real cowboy when I was, that was the last time I really felt like I was in it day to day for a whole year, just cowboy, cowboy, you know, and it was awesome working with my dad because my brother was in college. So they needed, he needed me. And then, I dipped out. I went to, I went, ironically, I went to uh, Bozeman because it was closer. My dad had roots there and I was like, man, what a better place to just go live and, and try to snowboard. And so I rode Bridger Bowl um, for a winter. I just lived with my friend and ate ramen noodles and got a season pass. And, and I was like, this is it. And so I just really was determined. I did two years in, in, in Montana and then had some really good friends in Jackson and they're like, yeah, why, 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 why come down to Jackson, man? I'll get you a job on the park and pipe crew. And they built like the, the half pipe and the jumps, Dan and, and JP and Ranyan. And they, he, they, I, I came down there. I, like I'd never, I'd been to Jackson once in my whole life and I'd lived in Wyoming my whole life, you know? So I didn't really know it was there. And so when I got there, I was like, oh my gosh, look at this, look at these mountains. Like this is here and I don't have to leave Wyoming. And for that was it for me. And so the next winter I was there, park and pipe. And that's where I, the evolution began. You know, I met the right people. My riding really stepped up. That, that mountain will just make you good. <laughs> Everybody's good. Like there's, there's, you can't fake it there, you know? And so I met Travis Rice and, and Gooch and, and that's where it all, all of the, the stars aligned for me. And, and I was fortunate enough to be able to stay in Jackson. And it, it was, a, it was a time in the industry when, um, it wasn't cool to live in Jackson, you know, mammoth. There was these scenes, like these big scenes. It was kind of like rural to city. Cause so mammoth's close to, you know, it was like, it was, it was kind of that separation. Cause Wyoming's like, why would you go to Wyoming, man? I was like, what's in Wyoming? You're like the Tetons, the snakes, the salts, like that's what's in Wyoming and no people. So cool. I'm not going to tell you it's good. Stay away. But during that time was the very beginning of people being like, Oh, Jackson, like Travis Rice, it just came out and he's like the best, one of the best, all around snowboarders in the world. He just, just put that place on the map and there would already been people there, but he really, everybody turned their heads. And so that, I would say that that really helped in, in, in my evolution in, in my career because it changed from a young man's game. And, it, and with my career, it's consistently like older guys are valued because the kind of riding we're doing in the mountains and train, you need wisdom and you need that gut instinct to, to survive and make the right decisions. And I think 
people are seeing more and more value in that. And so it, like it went from the, the, the retiring age of 28 to 30 for a pro snowboarder to like, now there's guys that are in their mid forties, like still making a career, Jeremy Jones and Brian Gucci and these guys that are just like icons. And so that was refreshing. And tell me, riding like that, what do you mean? Like the what, back country. What, the wisdom is necessary to stay alive in the back country versus some groomed slope area. Right? Exactly. So. You know, it's like the city. It's, it's like the resort. I'm not saying the resort is like foolproof and totally safe. People die on avalanches at the resort all the time. You know, what but, are you guys doing? Like, what's like, like in the early days, how are you getting up into that stuff? Snowmobiles. <laughs> We're still snowmobiles. Um, in the beginning, for me, it was just resort. And uh, I didn't have the money to buy a snowmobile, but that was starting to happen. And uh, like I talk about Gooch a lot. He's like my main riding partner in Jackson. He's such a, like a amazing human, so much knowledge and just gives back so much. But he was one of the originals, um, original top pro snowboarders in the 90s, too. So like Gooch is like legendary icon still doing it, but they pioneered like snowmobiles and snowboarding and they're like look at those mountains how do we get there oh we can take these snowmobiles and and so the majority of what we do in jackson as far as like production and filming we'll, we'll go access the mountains on snowmobiles and then we'll do a lot of like hiking or we'll have split boards which is a snowboard that splits in half and then you can walk with them like a touring setup and we'll do that too and it just kind of depends but is there a compromise in that kind of board or once they're clipped back together is it the technology's come a long ways I yeah. I uh, thought about that for so much. So I started snowboarding in like '87. I can still just kind of. <laughs> I'm a good free rider. I can make good turns. I can kind of ride fakey. But soon as I catch air, I, I'm the stiffest dead sailor. Like I'm like a, <laughs> a tumbling two by six in the air until my collarbone broke one time. I'm like fuck air. I just <laughs> don't have the balance or coordination for that. Yeah. Which was tough to accept because when you picture yourself snowboarding, it's kind of doing what you do. Now I'm trying to teach my young boys that towns at four could ski and board. Um, my folks live in Pagosa Springs and have for close to 30 years now. That's, that, that's in Southern California, uh, Southwest Colorado. Is that uh, Wolf Creek? Wolf Pass. Creek. Yeah. yeah. Wolf so it gets a ton yeah. of snow yeah. and there's a ton of backcountry all around that very small resort. And so I started hiking up just with skins on cross country skis and carrying my board and then boarding down with skis on. So I've always looked at a split board, but I'm like, Oh man, I'll get you out twice a year. How you, I can, how can I justify buying this and put it? Oh, in you the you won't have to buy one, man. I'll hook you up. Sweet. I have my own. I, I just, uh, I'm pretty proud of it. I work with a, a company called Arbor snowboards. Yeah, and they're they're awesome. Of, they're awesome. They're super, you know, 23 years deep, give back a lot. And they just make really, really amazing boards and equipment and uh i designed a board with them called the clovis and i designed this whole board the shape basically um and that's a split board well i have two versions yeah i have cool. the normal and then i have the split as well and in the story behind the board is really rad because I, I i the the rich native culture and like the clovis era and they were some of the first north american hunters so they had this crazy projectile point called the clovis point and it was like the master craftsmanship um, can't eat, they can't even replicate them like the napping on these crazy points and they would kill mammoths and buffalo and ticus and like all these crazy things and uh that's the shape and the inspiration that i took for this board you know and it, it's really cool because um i had a close connection with the clovis because uh the the family that homesteaded our ranch the frizens in the early 1900s 
George Frizen ended up becoming um, one of the leading archaeologists in the nation. And his whole thing was the Clovis era and that really ancient hunters. And so I grew up like hunting with George and him just telling me these amazing stories. And um, I was just fascinated by the way people survived. You know, Have you back, found a Clovis point no, on your land? You're not going to find a Clovis. <laughs> if you could, that'd be amazing. But I mean, those things are... It's like the holy grail of archaeology, right? And, but you, um, your place has a lot of mammoth bones and, and yep, different you know, stuff spread around, doesn't there it? There is. There's uh, tensely. There's a lot of dinosaurs and and just history of all the crazy hunters and stuff that have come through there. It's uh, you can feel the energy. You know? so it's like cool. pulsing. Um, but yeah, it's back to your board. Yeah, I got you one, man. Sweet. I'll hook you up. A, so you know, you ride up on the chair and you ski back down, get on it again less time you know getting up than it is coming down and then when i finally went just and decided i was going to hike the opposite side of the freeway it took like three and a half hours to get up <laughs> and seven minutes to get down yeah. you know but it was so much more fun yeah. i took a backpack with just a little a couple beers and some cheese and <laughs> meats and sat up sat up on the top on my pack just looked around for probably 30 40 minutes caught my breath before i yeah took my skis off and that's put the board on. It's amazing. You and, know. and it was really hard to get me back to, to the recreational area until my kids were born and yeah. getting them groomed up till they can hike. But yeah, I think that's it's what a lot more fulfilling being in the back country. It and then is. it starts feeling like getting away when you're, fi there's all kind of analogies. For instance, fishing for me is always about getting away from everybody. So I'm not real comfortable, even if it's the fishiest spot, if I'm around folks, I'd rather take a chance and go somewhere with fewer fish and less people. And that's how I feel in the mountains too. Yeah. I feel the same as I do on the coast. It's the same. I, I, just get away. I totally agree with you. Speak with nature and you know, get yeah. straight. I think you need that. That um, country does that. You need a little bit of that. Um, you don't need crowds. You don't want crowds in that environment. You know, I think it takes away. You know, every, it's for everybody. But for me, when I'm out there, I, I like the, the solitude and being with people you really care about. You know? Do y'all like cruise around? You go, man, check that line out. What if we oh, yeah. kind of came down? So then you park the snowboard there yeah. or the, the well, snowmobile and hike up and try yeah, it. And then, yeah, totally. And how do you gauge for the danger? How did you learn that <laughs> wisdom? Did you get covered up by yeah. some avalanches? Trial by fire, man. Um, yeah. You know, you just try to make the right decisions. And, and, and you, go, you go out there with people that know what they're doing. You don't go out with liabilities. You don't go out with people that are frothing and have something to prove. I really try to check the ego in the mountains because she doesn't care and that'll get you killed. But there's this, there's this, there's this like fine balance and line of, uh, and I always, I always like, it's like distinguishing between your gut telling you something's really off and fear and like fear. You just push through fear. Like fear is fine. Fear is good. Like you need fear, but there's that, that feeling in your gut when you know something's wrong. And it's like distinguishing between those two things is the tricky thing. Cause every time you get spanked, you're like, I knew it, man. I felt it like, but so like knowing that feeling and sometimes it's very distinct. You're like, Ooh, that's yeah. yeah don't do that. Or it's just, it's kind of tickling you a little bit. But for me these days, like it's, if there's a question, there's no question, especially just with what we're doing and the, the risks we're, we're managing is, is like, okay, how do we all feel about this? You know, because the human factor is what really kills people. Um, it's the, the, you know, these super, these super knowledgeable mountaineers and guys that are in there doing it and they die, you know, and they're obviously they're like, 
they're they're pushing the limits but there's always a human factor there where there's like all this knowledge like red flag red flag red flag red flag there's five red flags if there's one red flag you don't go but there's like ah one and you start like ah we can just that's okay we'll mitigate that like and then you you know you get spanked and so it's like this thing of we have protocol and if there's questions we just don't do it and you don't the minute you start like yeah we can just kind of twist and bend this a little bit that's when you start making mistakes you know when you say you can just navigate this red flag you can't you just got to like go home dude it's dangerous like what what is it worth a shot you know so those are like the thoughts in my head in the winter i'm always like you know we do a lot of training and you know first responder stuff and avalanche and but I think that's what really keeps me close to Jackson is because I can monitor the snowpack and I like being there because when you come into a foreign environment, you don't have any idea other than the observations and information people can give you there. But when I'm home, I can do those observations myself and, and bounce them off people that I really trust. Um, and that's why you have guides. You go to Alaska and you have guides and you know people that are really professional in that. I'm not a professional guide, but... There's a lot of... <laughs> How does it work as a professional snowboarder? I mean, you have, uh, you're have you not c competing necessarily, so is it all no. sponsor money? Um, yeah, yeah, pretty much sponsor money. Uh, sponsor money, I'll do a little competitions. My friend, like I said, I talk about Travis a lot, but he, he his competition, he did this competition called the Natural Selection in 07. He's done a few of them. He did two in Canada. But that was like my big break in 07. And it was like, I, I was nobody. I was 27 and... and I, I, my, my dad literally told me that year. He's like, you know, this, this snowboarding thing ain't making any money. You should start thinking about maybe <laughs> ranching, doing something else. It's <laughs> like, what else would I do, dad? <laughs> um, but I was like, oh man, I should probably do something. And then uh, he gave me, Travis gave me this huge opportunity in Jackson and natural selection. And it was an invite of 15 of uh, the top riders in the world. And he gave me a spot, a spot in it. It's dark horse. And I was like, man, thank you. And I got, ended up getting second place. And so that kind of like blew me onto the scene. And um, that was where I really became a pro snowboarder, I think. And I think you have to do something great. Like you can kind of just like, I don't know, it's a weird, I don't know how it happens these days. You know, there's like social media and like, but I always felt like to become great and to become pro, like a legit, you had to do something where everybody was like, oh, yeah, you, you belong here. Not just like you showed up, you know, because there's, man, there's amazing talent across the board everywhere. There's really good. But for me, I felt that I really needed to do something and that was it. And then that sponsors took me serious and I got real contracts and here we are, <laughs> you know, keeping the dream What alive. is that thing that you did? Uh, it was called the Natural Selection. So it was a full backcountry contest in Jackson. It was like kind of the first of its kind. And so it wasn't like manicured slope style jumps or half pipe. It was like... Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, which is amazing, man. I work with those guys. They're, they're like my resort. And they they took the park crew and they they cordoned off these parts of the mountain. Like one called Dick's Ditch. So it was a, a seven-day competition with two-day holding period. Or seven-day holding period with two days of competition. Like kind of like surfing. And uh, we just went when conditions were good. And they closed these areas down, Dick's Ditch, and built these crazy jumps in there. And they just let it snow, 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 snow because I like the powder. You know, everybody, nobody wants to jump in the hard pack, especially old guys, old backcountry guys. We just want that steep powder landing. And um, they built these amazing jumps, with manicured takeoffs and powder landings. And so that was day one. And then the second day of competition was like the last day. And that was just like a full uh, backcountry. They closed off Casper Bowl 
uh, off the top of the resort and we just got to ride our own lines, you know, kind of like inspect and, and charge. So and a lot like surfing. Yeah. A lot like surfing. Yeah. I'm not a very good surfer. But <laughs> you guys are kind of the, your family's kind of like, um, I love the Malloys. I know you do too. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all are kind of the mountain Malloys in a way. You know, I'm honored. Tough as nails. <laughs> yeah. Tough as nails. Dad. Yeah. Who was, who was fair and strict and, and, you know, required hard work. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's this other element that's so, so cool to, to, to be able to be from a ranch family, but also do yeah. this extreme sport. I think it's just well, the I, best of both worlds. I think, you know, coming from the ranching background, I, I don't generally think a lot of ranchers become snowboarders because they don't get the opportunity or the time or the spark, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was just fortunate enough to have that little mountain there and, and parents that wanted to support me to do that. But I made the snowboarding thing happen after high school, you know, that was kind of all me. Um, it was all them before that. And then it was like kind of all on me. I was like, all right, here we go. I'm going to do it. And, um, but yeah, the Malloy's, uh, Keith is, yeah, he's a good dude. I had him out to the ranch and, um, the minute I met that guy, I was like, oh, I think we're going to be like best friends. Can we be best friends? I just want to be best friends with <laughs> yeah. you, man. Pretty <laughs> Can we hang out? Yeah. Cool. They're, they're yeah. so solid. Yeah. What's next in the sport? Where where are you now in it, and where do you have to go? Uh, you know, I I'm kind of where where I want to be with what I'm doing. Um, I get to kind of manage what I want to do. I don't I don't put a lot of pressure on me. I like to just go with the flow. You know, coming in the winter, and everybody's like, "What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do?" And I was like, "I'm gonna let Mother Nat- Nature dictate what I'm gonna do," and that that's kind of how I go about it. Um, where's the snow going to be? I'll probably stay in Jackson a lot. I'll probably, I want to work with the people I want to work with. I don't want to be told who I work with. And I think that's, what's, um, refreshing at this point in my career. I can kind of pick and choose my battles and I don't need to be the guy getting as gnarly, the gnarliest, which when the stars align, it's on and, and you, you see these crazy snowboard videos, but they're very thought out and it looks crazy and like loose, but Man, we've been watching the snow. We've been watching the snowpack. The snow, the the stars align, and when when snow is perfect, like the perfect quality, you can go. You could like jump off a hundred foot cliff and land on your head, and you're gonna be okay. Not to say go do that, but when it's perfect, the stars align. You can really charge, you know, and 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 at little risk of bodily injury, because that's the last thing I want is to hurt myself, blow a knee out, or break yourself, and so. When it's on, then it takes you, a lot of learning to get to that comfort zone. It does. It does. But when it's on, you can just go for it. And you have those magical days where it's just like you can't wreck. There was no choice in it for you once it got you. I was just thinking yeah. how it would feel like to be accepted in the surprise you had there. And then to ask to be part of like designing your own board. Your head That's had huge. to be so in that and so happy, the like happiest yeah. you could possibly be, right? I mean, yeah. money was the last thing yeah. on your mind you were how you were designing a board that would carry your name you named it the clovis yeah split version or a solid version yeah good for you man yeah thanks. that's I, awesome they've been an awesome company so man cool. I've, I've really like that's the top of the that's the top of the world ma right there yeah yeah i'm proud of it i'm really proud of it um it's 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 good to to be here you know um i i'm in a good place with all my sponsors you know i, I really have um procured my my list of sponsors, you know, like having Yeti, I think Yeti has been, um, 
one of the best things that happened to me just because I mean I'm sitting here with you talking like the the gap that I the, echo that sentiment the gap that they've bridged and the people that I've met in the short time I've been with them has been phenomenal and like the opportunities and just all these all these these things coming together has been um, pretty amazing and, and not to take away from my other sponsors because they're amazing too North Face Arbor all these guys have worked with it for years but Yeti just has this different flavor of their community, it's not also, cross, it's their not, community yeah. crosses over all totally, sort of boundaries. Man. You, you all, could go to sports, New so York City and people know Yeti and you can go and go anywhere. And people are like, oh, the ranchers have Yetis. You know, it's like this. So much more than the cooler. It's so much. It's, it's, it's a community that the best folks I've met as it, well. It man. really Amen. is. Yeah. I, I, I can't I can't agree with you better. Yeah. So when you go back to the ranch and you're you say, hey, what's up part time? And you get back into it and how like uh so, you know, I'm not going to push a boat around forever. I know that. I yeah. think I've still got maybe 20 years in me. That'll be 70, um, God willing. Like, what's beyond snowboarding? Um, the food, you know, food and quality of life and just doing doing the, the Carter Country Meats thing. So you know? plan B is eventually plan <laughs> A again, pretty much, right? Back to the ranch. How comfortable is well, that? Just think, knowing that. Well, I think that's why I was able. But that's there for you, and yeah, you know how to do it. Totally, I think that that's what enabled me to just really go for it and not be afraid of failure. Because I was like, man, worst case scenario, I become a rancher, and that ain't that bad. So I was able to just kind of like pff, go for it, and and uh, with always knowing I had that 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 buffer, I could always go home and make make a buck. I could always go home and have a have a, have food and shelter, have my family. So. It was easy. It was easy to leave, but it's, it's, I, I won't say it's easy to leave, but like every fall is always bittersweet. I won't see him for six months, but, um, I get to spend six months with him. So how long does it take your brother to stop ribbing you when you, when you show back up? <laughs> he just takes me out and breaks me off real quick. And then I'm like, all right, we're, this is good. Good. <laughs> you got to miss that, that, uh, that shepherd jumping up in your lap across the gas tank like yeah. you do. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, all of our old dogs have passed. You know, it's like you, you see your dogs getting older. You're like, ah, we've had some good times. And then, yeah. They are something else. They are something else. Like I, you met Foxy last Yeah, night. I was just saying, man. There's such, she's such on her last life. leg, but she's, uh, I think she's sticking around for those boys. She, yeah. She's all consumed with those boys. When did y'all switch to motorcycles instead of horses to round up cows? Um. Well, we still we still use horses a lot, uh, but I think motorcycles came in just due to the lack of help. We never had help. And my dad would run these huge herds of cattle, and I remember as a kid, I'm being on horses and days from hell. Just we'd get it done. It's just slower, and you have so much to do that we needed to get the job done faster. Implementing motorcycles, and um, it was about. To, I was probably like fifth grade when we, we I've been riding bikes since about fourth fifth grade and but fifth or sixth grade is when we started like getting around cows and poking them around we're like oh this kind of works this is better than saddle I don't it doesn't buck me off too bad <laughs> like there's nothing worse than getting on a horse at six in the morning and it's frosty and you just feel that hump in his back and you're like he's some bitch you can buck me off it's like this is not the way I want to start my day and then because you know when he bucks you off you don't get broke off you're gonna have to get back on him yeah. and you're on the middle of nowhere you're like ah. but um I love the motorcycles uh you know we'll go down to the desert and we'll gather cattle three of us will gather 1500 cattle 
over 350 square miles in four days and ship them and send them north, you know? So like you drag a trailer out there, you sleep in, I have a camper yeah. in the back of my truck. And so you get them so far and then you call it a day. How what keeps them from going back? You have pension <laughs> closers, like you no. keep pinching them through no, no, no fences. So. Uh, well, I mean, moving cattle, it just depends if you're moving cows with calves just or moves. moving cows. Uh, just put some blocks down, throw some hay, and they'll stick around no, until you no. wake up. Cows, you, cows are unpredictable. The best thing you can do is move them till dark and make sure everything's paired up. Because if, if you just go into a bunch of cows and just start pushing them, because they won't be with their calves in the morning, you know, you want to start early, you get, you, you want to get them all the calves, to cows, and you want them to pair up before you start moving them. Because if you don't, and you push all these cows, you can go 12 miles push all these cows and calves all the cows will be in the front all the cows will be in the back or all the cows will be in the front all the calves will be in the back and then the minute you let off pressure they're all going to go back to the last place they saw their cow their mom or their their calf so that means at the beginning so usually when you start gathering you're pushing cows you start at the you started where you started the day before because there's maybe a couple run back if you didn't have them paired up but if you don't pair them up man the whole herd will just it's a shit show <laughs> but here we go it's good it's good i've seen just just train wrecks man cows going calves going back that's like i think that's like where it gets really um spicy is when you have a lot of young calves and cows and young mamas and they run up to the front and then they all come running back and you got a thousand head of cows running back and trying to hold them is kind of impossible <laughs> so you just yeah sounds like a pain in the ass but it draws you in yeah in all the places like, you know, a lot of ranchers that I know in Texas, well, there's not a lot of skiing opportunities, but everyone's got a chance to get off the farm and go do something else. Yeah. And I know a lot of cowboys that just love what they do so much that like your dad, they've never contemplated another way of life. Yeah. Now you've traveled and seen mountain peaks around the world and, and met <laughs> friends and you, you've, you've come to Austin now, you've gone to the big cities and you, you've had all that, you've tasted the allure of all that. Yeah. And ultimately you have no question you'll be going back to ten sleep. That's a that's a pretty strong testament to yeah. anyone out there who's like uh you know, but, but man, it, it, I'm frustrated because I, I know that uh the answers are right in front of us in our society and just all the bullshit. But you're not just gonna go and leave a job as a lawyer never having ranched and decide to ranch. It's not the same thing. It has to be passed down. There's so much intricate knowledge that you gotta start learning as a kid, be introduced to it, to have any chance to make it work yeah. long term. So it's like, you know, RC has boys. Yeah. I'm sure you're gonna figure that part out for yourself as well. And then yeah. so there's hope for for Carter Country. I mean there's that, hope. There's there's hope. There's grandkids. Yeah. 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 There's hope. There's, there's a things. lot of there's a lot of kids. They got a lot of uh my sister, my two sisters have some boys too. And we have I have one niece. Um so yeah, I mean there's there's hope. But ah, man, for us, like I guess that's all I can worry about right now, but man, I don't know what everybody else is going to do, you know. I I really don't and and we're working on solutions, but no, and I told you like you, that you contain and sort of like embody a, a lot of the answers that are unbeknownst to you. Like yeah. you, you argue and say, I don't know shit, but truly things that you know naturally that you don't contemplate are a solution, at least as your family's concerned. I'm not worried yeah. about y'all. You're in yeah. the clear, right? I, I hope so. <laughs> and like you said it, just raising good beef, being healthy and sharing that with good people. Yeah. End of story, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming, Mark. Hey, man, I, I sure appreciate it. Let's Thank go to the hill country and go swimming. I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's go.
Thanks again for listening to Drifting, presented by Yeti and hosted by me, JT Van Zandt. To listen to more episodes, visit yeti.com or search Drifting on iTunes.